verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. That's right. Thanks, Katie. I mean, thanks, Sadie. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to start a new series in this season of Lent uh, through the Apostles' Creed. And so it's a, a bit of a departure from what we normally do. We go through books of the Bible um, systematically, but this time we're going to go more sort of a topical preaching um, through the Apostles' Creed. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this uh, passage this morning. Lord, we thank you for your living word. We thank you for these truths that you have revealed to the church. And Lord, we pray that as we come, um, that these truths will shape us, uh, shape our mind and our hearts, uh, that we might bear fruit, not just as individuals, but as a body of Christ. Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard the saying, your beliefs don't make you a better person, your behavior does? And of course, there is an element of truth about this. You know, you might have an argument, a conversation about who Jesus is, the nature of Jesus. And you might have the orthodox view that he is fully God and fully human. You might be right about it, but you might argue in a way that is completely not Jesus-like. Behavior matters, of course it does. And there are cultural factors, though, that goes against having strong beliefs philosophy of Nietzsche, postmodernism, literary criticism, so sort of this academic uh, environment have created this environment where uh, we say, they say, truth cannot be known. Really, truth cannot be held, truth claims cannot be held too strongly. Uh, and the truth claims, knowledge claims, doctrinal claims are basically assertions of power, they say. Things like the 9-11 disaster also created this environment where we think actually holding any belief too strongly, well, that's dangerous. Christians bombing abortion clinics or saying mean things to people who don't agree with them, well, they also give the impression that uh, holding on to these beliefs too strongly is dangerous. It's harmful to the society. So our, so our culture today says, don't worry so much about what you believe. Be a nice person. Tolerate everybody. Uh, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're a nice 
person. But of course, belief and behavior are inseparable. We know that. Belief leads to behavior, doesn't it? I mean, think about the COVID pandemic this past year. What, what and who you believed determined your behavior, whether you got a vaccine, whether you wore masks or, or not. What you believe about the news brings, uh, uh, topples governments down or props them up. What you believe about gender, whether it's biological, uh, 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 whether it's biological or internal conviction, what well, that determines your behavior and public policy. See, belief leads to all sorts of different behaviors. You see, it's not believing in something strongly that's dangerous. It's what you believe. That really is the crux of things. What you believe and whom you believe. Uh, that's what matters the most. For example, you know, if you believe that you should love your neighbor, that you should love your enemies. Even if you believe that strongly, dogmatically, you know, you won't budge ever. Well, that will not ever lead, I hope, that will not lead to violence. If you believe that strongly, that will lead to turning the other cheek. That will lead to uh, 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 forgiving those who are mean to you. Believing something that is good and true lead to good behavior. Believing something that is false and bad will often lead to bad behavior. And rightly believing God changes everything. Right belief about God changes everything. If you go back to Genesis chapters 1 to 3, the problem uh, that Adam and Eve faced, the main sin that Adam and Eve faced, it started with disbelief disbelieving that God is good, disbelieving that His words are trustworthy, disbelieving His words and His commands. And when that disbelief came, the humanity fell. And Christians say then rightly relating to Him, trusting in His grace and goodness, turning to God and saying, you are good and I need to live in relationship and obedience to you, that makes us born again. That makes us new people in Christ Jesus. And of course, that right, re, rightly relating to God, that's belief. Belief leading to behavior. Believing that Jesus is our Savior, for example. If we believe that truly, it means that we would recognize that we're sin sinners that we need forgiveness, that we cannot save ourselves. It means coming to God and Jesus for salvation. Believing that Jesus is our Lord uh, means that we trust Him to be our King, that we leave behind our little crowns, and then we turn to God and we say we will live His way and not our own. And if we do that, if we trust and believe God in the right way, if we relate to God in the right way, then we are born again. We are be given new birth in Christ Jesus. No wonder then the Apostles' Creed, this confession of faith, has been related to, um, to baptism, the sacrament of baptism. This is how baptism is described by Bishop of Rome, Hippolytus, uh, who died uh, before year 235, uh, about 1,800 years ago. He says, on the eve of Easter, 
group of believers stay up all night in vigils of prayer, scripture reading, and instruction. At the dawn, they remove their clothes. Um, men and women back, back then were uh, baptized separately for this reason. They renounced Satan and were anointed with oil from head to toe. When they were, and then they were asked the question, Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? And they replied, I believe. And then they were plunged underwater and came back up again, up again. They then were asked the second question, Do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Spirit, Mary the Virgin, and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, a, a version, a earlier, a earlier version of the Apostles' Creed, the second part? And they replied, I believe. And they were plunged again into the water, came back up again. And the third question, do you believe the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, and the resurrection of the flesh? And they cried out, I believe, and they were submerged, and they came back up again. You see, confessing the creed, confessing the Nicene Creed wasn't just saying, well, I believe these things in my mind. I, I, I know these things. It wasn't that. Believing and confessing these things was saying our allegiance to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Believing, confessing this thing meant dying with Christ, rising again, with Christ. Confessing this means was beginning of a new life, right? They were completely naked back then, as if they're reborn again, starting a new life in the way of Jesus, being his disciples with God and the church. This Wednesday marked the beginning of Lent, which is why we have the color purple. Traditionally, Lent was a time for those who were getting baptized, preparing themselves for baptism 40 days before uh, Easter. Uh, uh, it was a time of self-examination and repentance to see if they really believed in these things, and all climaxing with uh, Easter and the baptism. So we too will have baptism on the Easter day. It'll be a joyous time for us, and we will recite the creed, Apostles' Creed, then again. Uh, uh, um, uh, we will do that uh, on the Easter day, but as a preparation for that, for all of us, we will go through the Apostles' Creed uh, through this time. And as we do uh, say these uh, things each week, say these beliefs each week, I hope you'll know that what we're saying is, once again, our pledge of allegiance to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we'll remind ourselves that these are not something that we just believe, but this was the thing, the belief in God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, believing in Jesus was what gave us rebirth, a new life in Him, that we are His people, living His way. And I hope you'll be reminded that, of that each week as we say the Apostles' Creed. Or you might ask, historically, how did the Apostles' Creed become the belief of the church, a belief of the baptism, uh, confession of the baptism? How, how did it happen? Well, from very early on, the Christians needed a summary of faith, right? Because the Bible, we believe that the Bible is God's revelation to us, but the Bible is a big book. <laughs> and for centuries, most people didn't have the Bible. They, didn't, they couldn't even read. 
So Christians from very early on summarize the important parts of the Bible. The Bible has all sorts of things, but not all of them are uh, of equal importance. They're all God's Word, of course, but not all are of equal importance. And we see that Paul doing summarizing the important bits in today's reading. So if we go to our reading today, for what I received, I, um, I passed on to you. Of, um, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, He was raised on the third day. Much of, what we, much of this is what we actually confess part of, as part of the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus lived and died and rose again for us. These truths are of, in His words, first importance. And then we, see, we saw as we went through the First Timothy series, uh, Paul doing that again, right? Uh, he says things like, here's trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Here's, a, here's an important thing that you really need to know, that everybody as Christians need to know. In a similar way, the early church then went through the Bible and started to summarize the most important bits which became the creeds. Think of it this way. If the Bible is the soil, the ground, uh, from a, a, a tree grows out of. That tree, tree trunk, is the Apostles' Creed. It, it's the summary and important bits. And the branches are the things, uh, may say, denominations and different churches that disagree on maybe the secondary or tertiary um, uh, things. Uh, so we go our different ways. But the Apostles' Creed, these creeds are the summary of faith that all Christians need to trust and believe in because they are accurate summaries of our faith. So the Apostle Creed is the oldest and probably goes back to year 230 and, and, uh, and so on, although finalized uh, in the 6th century. And there was a, uh, there, it's, it's called the Apostles' Creed um, because there was a writer in the 4th century who said that each of the lines of the Apostles' Creed came from the Apostles, which isn't true. But I think he is right in that they reflect accurately the faith of the apostles. It goes back to the apostles, and it goes back to the Bible, and it can be tested against the Bible, and we'll do that as we go through this series. We'll see where the Bible passages are that backs up these claims. But throughout the history, they are recognized as accurate uh, summary of the scriptures of the most important, scriptures' most important teachings. And the Apostles' Creed is more fundamental um, uh, than other creeds. You see, other creeds expand on the Apostles' Creed. They don't subtract, but they add. They add these different things. Nicene Creed, for example, um, adds things because they were responding to a heresy uh, called Arian heresy in year 325. They came together, and they've added a whole bunch of things. Chalcedon Creed was responding to um, the Nestorian controversy in uh, year 451. But the Apostles' Creed wasn't written in response to a problem or heresy. Once again, the Apostles' Creed was written to summarize the most important things that we ought to believe as we were baptized. Uh, these were a baptismal confession, summary of the most important things. So for 17, 1800 years, hundreds of years, as people got baptized, 
This is the creed that we said, that we believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter um, the denomination, most denominations, Anglicans, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, most people believe and say this creed, the Apostles' Creed, as they get baptized. And even if they come from a denomination where they don't say these things, they usually recognize the validity and accept the validity and the authority of um, this confession. Okay, so let's look at the Apostles' Creed. What are these things that are of first importance? The first thing that you notice, I think, I hope, is that, that this is Trinitarian. I believe in God, Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, people were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and, Holy, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to do so in the Great Commission, right? And, and that, uh, that Trinity, the formula, um, of course, is not that the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The Bible clearly teaches that God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. But there only, there's only one God. And the doctrine of Trinity forms the bedrock of orthodoxy. Another thing that you might notice is this belief about Jesus Christ. Out of 18 lines of the Apostles' Creed, 10 of them is about Jesus. And that makes perfect sense. Because Jesus is, uh, belief in Jesus is what makes us Christians. People, many people believe, uh, believe in God. Um, but we, as Christians, believe in Jesus to be God. And notice, it doesn't have a single line about Jesus' teaching, as amazing as they are as comforting as they are to us. It's all about who Jesus is. And who, what he taught is important because of who Jesus is, that because he was God revealed to us. And believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that is what makes us Christian. And it's also got teaching about the church, Holy Catholic Communion of Saints. We'll go through it in one week. It ends with the nature of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus didn't come just to be an example for us, that he lived and died to offer us forgiveness, that that is salvation, that we need to be forgiven of our sins, and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, that we don't just die and float away in heaven, but we will be resurrected in new bodies. There will be a new creation through Christ. Friends, these are things of first importance. Confessing them uh, weekly is like having a full body workout. You know how you go to the gym and some people just do like chest workout and their chest is huge but their legs are really small? We don't want to be a Christian like that. We want to be a balanced Christian. We want to uh, go through the full counsel of God. And uh, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church, sanctification, salvation, all of that, it helps us to have a balanced view of God. The right, uh, uh, so we're not lopsided in our Christianity. Confessing them we, each week is also training ourselves to see what's heresy, there is a reason why Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do not receive, do not accept the um, Apostles' Creed or any of the creeds as their confessions of faith, because they cannot do it. They don't believe in the divinity of Jesus, for example. Um, there are reasons why. So as we confess them each week, we're going to the orthodoxy, right? We're saying, this is what's right. 
we're training ourselves to spot false teaching. And these truths have been revealed to the Bible and, and summarized. These truths have nourished and sustained the church for the last 2,000 years. And it will nourish, sustain us also. But confessing them will be countercultural. I know that there are many young people here today. Solid Rock is here with us um, today. I think this is right. In our age, we live in an age of being true to yourself. Being true to yourself. And so, we go to weddings. And have you ever been invited to weddings where people write their own vows? It feels authentic. It feels true. What can be more true than to say, to craft your own words uh, and make your own promises to each other? Well, we don't do this at an Anglican wedding because as Christians, we don't just make personal promises. We don't get to define what marriage is. No, God defines what marriage is. God tells us what kinds of promises that we ought to make. And so we go to this tradition uh, that, that, that has these words, uh, that has rich theology of what marriage is. And so we say these words, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for in sickness and health, to love and to cherish until death us do part, and so on. And, it's, and certainly we do not allow any who are getting baptized to come up with their own statements of belief about God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't do it. Because although... The opening words of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe. Well, who wrote those words? Not I. <laughs> Not you. No, they have been received. They have been revealed in the, through the Scripture, condensed in these ways, and we receive them and we confess these words that have been given to the church. And Paul's words, as we've seen, our faith has been received and passed on. They were given to Paul. They were given to the early church, and now they're given to us. And that's the beauty of it. Confessing the creed is a way of joining in with millions, billions of Christians today, of past, of the past, of the future, who will say the same things. It's becoming part of them. It's becoming a part and saying that we're all united in Christ Jesus in this way, in this belief. And here's the countercultural element, I think, in all of this. It challenges the almighty I, that I get to determine what's important, that what I think and I feel is the most important bits. No, what we think is more important. The church says people, including you and I, believe all sorts of things, things sincerely, some not so sincerely, uh, things that are true and not true, heartfelt or not, what I believe in some ways is not that important. What's been revealed to God, to us, what's been revealed to the church, what's been revealed to the scripture, what's been revealed to the church, that those are important. These are saving words. These are the things that we all must then conform to come and say, I make this the church's belief, the Bible's belief, my belief, that I submit to these words. I submit to the authority of the Bible. I submit to the authority of the church in these ways. That is deeply countercultural. 
So it's okay, though, then you don't understand every single bit about the Apostles' Creed. I have questions. I have questions about what it means for Jesus to have descended to the dead. What happened there? I have questions about the Trinity. I don't understand all of these things. I don't understand what life everlasting will look like. I mean, I think about it often. I don't exactly understand, but I submit to these truths, and I say them anyway because they have been revealed to us to the Bible, to the church. So it's okay. You don't understand everything as you say them. But please don't think that I'm saying that you should check your brains out of the door and just believe. No, I am partly just pointing out that actually lots of things that we think that we know are beliefs. Uh, I'm told that, for example, the earth is 40,000 about 40,000 kilometers in circumference. How do I know that? Well, I Googled it. I'm sure it's got, <laughs> it's got good authority behind it. I don't even know how you measure the circumfer circumference of the Earth, but I trust these things because they're there. I'm told that if we look closely at atoms, it's not just electrons and uh, protons and neutrons or whatever, but they're quarks, Higgs bosons or whatever, these little things spinning in different directions. I believe them because I believe in the science behind them. In the same way, there are things that I know about Christianity. Uh, I know that I'm convinced of the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection. I'm, believe, I, I'm, I'm, I'm convicted that God has worked in my life. I've seen God work at, in, in your life um, as well. And because I know enough to trust in God, I embrace the Bible, the creeds, the things that I don't quite understand because I see that God is at work. God is at work through these words. God is at work in your life. God is at work in me, and God is at work in the church. So I embrace these things I don't fully understand with the hope that I will continue to understand, that my belief will lead to deeper understanding of these things as I go on. So the Apostles' Creed is an invitation to join in as part of God's people. It's a way of saying, I submit even though I don't understand everything. It's like saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. So those of you who are not yet Christian, could I ask that you think about these words? And in humility, I hope you will submit to the one who is greater than you. In humility, you will join in with millions of people around the world today, millions of people who have gone past and who will come in the future and say, I believe. And for Christians, as we confess these things weekly, I hope you'll know that I, as individual, is not the almighty authority, that Christianity is not something that I do alone. It's a we thing. It's a church thing. God has called each of us to be part of the church, the body of Christ. Body of Christ, that's greater than me. That's greater than you. That transcends time and space. And these truths that have sustained the church, the body of Christ, will sustain your faith today and will lead us into the future. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you are greater than us. We thank you that you are God that's beyond our understanding. But we thank you that we know about your love through Christ. We thank you for the church through which you have worked these past centuries. We thank you that we see you at work through these truths. Lord, even if we don't understand everything, help us to stand with the faith of the church. Help us to make these things our own faith claims and help us to stand on them that we, might, we too might be sustained as your people. And I pray for some of us as we confess these things, Lord, that as they say that they believe that you will make them new. And for all of us, you'll remind us that we are your people. Lord, speak and work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.